Chapter Six of Freaks on the Fells, Three Months Restication, Story One by R. M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Fajardo. Chapter Six. The Picnic A vision of beauty now breaks upon the scene. This vision is tall, graceful, and commanding in figure. It has long black ringlets, piercing black eyes, a fair, delicate skin, and a bewitching smile that displays a row of, of pearls. The vision is about sixteen years of age, and answers to the romantic name of Flora MacDonald. It is sister to that stalwart Hector, who first showed Mr. Sudbury how to fish. And stately, sedate, and beautiful does it appear, as, leaning on its brother's arm, it ascends the hill toward the White House, where extensive preparations are being made for a picnic. "'Good morning, Mr. Sudbury,' cries Hector, doffing his bonnet and bowing low to Lucy. "'Allow me to introduce my sister Flora.' But, glancing at the preparations, "'I fear my visit is inopportune.' Mr. Sudbury rushes forward and shakes Hector and sister heartily by the hand. "'My dear sir, my dear madam, inopportune? Impossible. I am charmed.' We are just going on a picnic, that is all, and you will go with us. Lucy, my dear, allow me to introduce you to Miss MacDonald. Flora, my good sir, pray do not let us stand upon ceremony, interposes Hector. Lucy bows with a slight air of bashful reserve. Flora advances and boldly offers her hand. The blue eyes and the black meat the former twinkle, the latter beam, and the knot is tied. They are fast friends for life. Glorious day, cries Mr. Sudbury, rubbing his hands. Magnificent, assents Hector. You are fortunate in the weather, for, to say truth, we have little enough of sunshine here. Sometimes it rains for three or four weeks, almost without sensation. Does it indeed? Mr. Sudbury's visage elongates a little for one moment. Just then, George and Fred come out of the White House laden with hampers and fishing baskets full of provisions. They start, gaze in surprise at the vision, and drop the provisions. These are my boys, Miss MacDonald. Hector's sister, lads, cries Mr. Sudbury. You'll join us, I trust, to Hector. Hector assents, with pleasure. He is a most amiable and accommodating man. Meanwhile, George and Fred shake hands with Flora and express their delight, their pleasure, etc., etc., at this unexpected meeting which, etc., etc. Their eyes meet, too, as Lucy's and Flora's had met a minute before. 
whether the concussion of that meeting is too severe we cannot say but the result is that three pairs of eyes drop to the ground and their owners blush george even goes the length of stammering something incoherent about highland scenery when a diversion is created in his favor by jacky who comes suddenly around the corner of the house with a north american indian howl and with the nine dogs tearing after him clamorously jacky tumbles over a basket of course a state of disaster is his normal condition bruises his shins and yells fearfully to the dismay of his mother who runs shrieking to the window in her dressing-gown meets the gaze of hector and flora macdonald and retires precipitately in discomfiture no such sensibility affects the stern bosom of mrs brown who darts out at the front door catches the unhappy boy by one arm and drags him into the house by it as if it were a rope the child a homeward-bound vessel and she a tug-steamer of nine hundred horsepower the sounds that proceed from the nursery thereafter are strikingly suggestive they might be taken for loud clapping of hands but the shrieks which follow forbid the idea of plaudits poor tilly who is confused by the uproar follows the nurse timidly bent upon intercession for she loves jacky dearly the nine dogs easy-going jovial creatures at once jump to the conclusion that the ham and cold chicken have been prepared and laid out there on the green hillside for their special entertainment they make a prompt dash at the hampers gentlemen and ladies alike rush to the rescue and the dogs are obliged to retire they do so with a surprised and injured look in their innocent eyes have you one or two raw onions and a few cold boiled potatoes inquires hector i'll run and see cries george who soon returns with the desired edibles in a tin can that will do now i shall let you taste a potato salad meanwhile i will assist in carrying the baskets down to the boat hector's and lucy's eyes meet as this is said there must be some unaccountable influence in the atmosphere this morning for the meeting of eyes all around seems to produce unusual results will mr mcallister accompany us says mr sudbury mr mcallister permits a quiet smile to disturb the gravity of his countenance and agrees to do so at the same time making vague reference to the groves of arcadia and the delight of dining al fresco especially in wet weather observations which surprise mr sudbury and cause hector and the two brothers to laugh mrs sudbury is ready at last the gentlemen and hobbs load themselves and followed by jacky and the ladies proceed to the margin of the lock which sheet of water mr sudbury styles a lock while his better half deliberately and obstinately calls it a lake the party is a large one for so small a boat but it holds them all easily 
Besides, the day is calm, and the water lies like a sheet of pure glass. It seems almost a pity to break such a faithful mirror with the splashing oars as they row away. Thus, pleasantly, the picnic began. George and Fred rowed, Hector steered, and the ladies sang, Mr. Sudbury assisting with a bass. His voice, being a strong baritone, was overwhelmingly loud in the middle notes, and sank to a muffled, ineffective rumble in the deep tones. Having a bad ear for tune, he disconcerted the ladies, also the rowers. But what did that matter? He was overflowing with delight, and apologized for his awkwardness by laughing loudly and begging the ladies to begin again. This they always did, with immense good humor. Mrs. Sudbury had two engrossing subjects of contemplation. The one was the boat, which, she was firmly persuaded, was on the point of upsetting when anyone moved ever so little. The other was Jackie, who, owing to some strange impulse natural to his impish character, strove to stretch as much as his person beyond the side of the boat as was possible without absolutely throwing himself overboard. The lock was upwards of three miles in length. Before the party had gone half the distance, Mr. Sudbury, Sr., had sung himself quite hoarse, and Master Sudbury, Jr., had leapt three-quarters of his length out of the boat six times, and in various other ways had terrified his poor mother almost into fits and imperiled the lives of the party more than once. "'By the way,' said Fred, when his father concluded a fine old boat song with a magnificent flourish worthy of an operatic artiste, "'can anyone tell me anything about that strange old woman that lives down in the hut near the bridge?' "'Ha, ha!' laughed George. "'I can tell you she's an old witch, and a very fierce one, too.' A slight frown gathered on Flora's white forehead, and a flash shot from her dark eyes as George said this, but George saw it not. Lucy did, however, and became observant, while George continued. But methinks, Fred, that the long visit you paid her lately must have been sadly misapplied, if you have not pumped her history out of her. I went to paint, not to pump. Perhaps Mr. MacDonald can tell me about her. Not I, said Hector, lighting a cigar. I only know that she lost her grandson about six years ago, and that she's been mad ever since, poor thing. For shame, Hector, said Flora. You know that old Mogi is no more mad than yourself. Oh, possibly not, the sweet sister, but as you often tell me that I am mad, and as I never deny the charge, it seems to me that you have said nothing to vindicate the old woman's character for sanity. Poor thing, said Flora, turning from her brother and speaking with warmth to Fred. If you knew how much that unhappy old creature has suffered, you would not be surprised to find her somewhat cross at times. 
she is one of my people and i'm very glad to find that you take an interest in her my people flora then takes an interest in the poor thought the observant lucy another link was added to the chain of friendship do tell us about her please cried george there is nothing that i love so much as a story especially a horrible one with two or three dreadful murders to chill one's blood and a deal of retributive justice to warm it up again i'm dying to know about old mogi are you said flora saucily i'm glad to hear that because i mean to keep you in a dying state i will tell the story as a dead secret to lucy when i take her to see my poor people and you shan't hear it for weeks to come george cast his eyes in affected despair and said with a groan that he would endeavour to exist notwithstanding oh i know all about old mogi cried jacky with energy everyone looked at the boy in surprise in the midst of the foregoing dialogue he had suddenly ceased to tempt his fate and sat down quietly with a hand on each knee and his eyes fixed intently on flora macdonald to the surprise and secret joy of his mother who being thus relieved from anxiety on his account had leisure to transfer the agony of her attention to the boat what do you know about her child asked flora she's jolly replied the boy with prompt vivacity most genuine testimony in her favour laughed hector though the word is scarcely appropriate to one whose temper is sour why do you think her jolly my boy said flora cause i do jacky darling said mrs sudbury do try to give up those ugly slang words they're so naughty that is to say at least they are very ugly if they're not positively naughty she's a jolly old brick retorted jacky with a look at his mother that was the concentrated essence of defiance dear child lucy snickered and coughed somewhat violently into her handkerchief while flora repressing a smile said but why does jacky like old mogi so much hello don't run us ashore shouted mr sudbury starting up with a sudden impetuosity which shook the boat and sent a pang to the heart of his wife the sharpness of which no words can convey a piercing shriek however betrayed the state of her feelings as the boat was swept violently around by george to avoid a point of rock as they were now drawing near the spot where it was proposed that they should picnic jacky suddenly became alive to the fact that in his interest about old mogi he had been betrayed into a forgetfulness of his opportunities no time was to be lost turning round with a cheer he made a desperate plunge at the water and went much further over than he had intended insomuch as he would certainly have taken a header into its depths had not mcallister grabbed him by the baggy region of his trousers and gravely lifted him into his mother's lap next moment 
the boat's keel grated sharply on the gravel to the horror of mrs sudbury who having buried her face in the bosom of her saved son saw not what had occurred and regarded the shock as her death warrant thus agreeably the picnic continued End of chapter 6